When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. You may have spent hours, weeks and months planning and researching pregnancy and birth, but what about your plan for when your baby arrives? What hurdles may crop up? How can you prepare to make it as smooth as possible? And what are the realities of that extra and often forgotten fourth trimester? I am super excited for this week's guest to fill our mummy toolkits. Heidi from Positively Parenthood is an expert of little people, babies and toddlers and has just been through the fourth trimester with her newest family edition. So there is no better time to chat about its rawness. So welcome Heidi and how are you? Well thank you, thank you for having me, I'm good. Yeah as I was saying the bedtime routine has just ended, slipping straight into podcast recording, nothing quite like the working mum juggle is there really. <laughs> I know but do you know what I love about working with other mums as if I said to someone who wasn't a mum oh yeah let's schedule the podcast for like 7pm or 8pm they'd be like absolutely not my working day finishes at five whereas mums are like yeah brilliant seven seven eight o'clock is perfect. Yeah perfect. exactly exactly <laughs> although I was kind of surprised when you said seven I was like wow she must be really on it with her bedtime. <laughs> no my husband's home he's doing oh work. right fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just got out the bath. He's on it. He's really good at bedtime, actually. But uh, yeah, he's usually like an eight o'clock sleeper. Okay, fine. Okay, that makes much more sense. Because I was like, how is she doing this? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely not that good. (laughs) Absolutely not. That's why I speak to people like you, Heidi, (laughs) (laughs) who are that good. (laughs) You managed to get three down on your own. So that is incredible. now your youngest is six months now. So although I'm sure it's probably been a little bit of whirlwind, the fourth trimester is probably still very raw in your mind, I imagine. Yeah, it really is. And you know what, even though she's my third and even though, you know, I literally do sleep and reflux and colic for a living, if you like, for want of a better phrase, this time round actually has been the most emotional and the rawest and the, and the most challenging which is insane. You would almost think like the more babies you have, the easier it gets. Um, But no, that wasn't to be. So yes, I'm still very much in it, even if I'm not physically in the last, uh, sorry, the first four months. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's what the the four trimesters, right? The the first sort of four months or sixteen weeks yeah. postpartum. And I think it's really good to recognise that as a trimester. I don't know about you. We we certainly me as a midwife, you're so focused on, you know, you've passed through trimester one, into trimester two, trimester three, and then it's a bit like, well, <laughs> what happens what now? Happen? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's such a big expectation now of mothers to just kind of crack on you know actually I was doing some research recently and it talks about you know like different cultures and they have 40 days in bed or three months in bed or there's all these different rules whereas we don't really have that and actually you could almost you have to struggle to convince people to do I'm sure you know this is a midwife like a week in bed and a week on the sofa you know that almost seems like oh it's a bit much I probably should crack on whereas the reality is very different like it should be weeks months and ongoing right yeah, I know. But it, I think it's so hard in society because I'm a big fan of rest in the postpartum. But I think for my family setup, for example, we live really rural and my husband was straight back to work. Finney was born on a Friday and he was back on the Monday um, and our family are hours away. So it was a bit like I had to get up because yeah. <laughs> who yeah. was going to get the groceries and who was going to take the baby to the midwife appointment at the local hospital that wasn't really near where I live and mm. those kind of pressures on us now are very different to what they were a generation or two ago yeah. and so I think our rest sometimes has to also look a little bit different so if yeah. you're someone that can't lie in bed actually how can we get rest in other ways? So for me, it was like breathing, like just doing some breath work to calm my nervous system down, change the game. And I think it's it's looking at it in different ways, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And also just realizing that you can't do it all. So, you know, do the things that you need to do, like the grocery shopping for food and feed your baby. But, you know, does the kitchen floor need to be mopped? Absolutely not. Like, do you need to fold your clothes? No, it's good. Like a chair, a chair wardrobe is fine for the first few months. So, it's or just working two years, out. right? <laughs> yeah, or, or long forever. Um, it's just working out because, yeah, we used to live, obviously, this whole idea of a village, we used to live near a family or at least in neighbourhoods, you know, apart from neighbours. Like, where do you hear the sort of term neighbourhood now where I, I used to get as a child left with my next door neighbours who are very elderly whilst mum, like, went to the supermarket. Like, that just doesn't, there's no way we have an old lady next door. There's no way I'd be like, <laughs> hey, can you just have them whilst I pop the Sainsbury's? Like, it just... It just wouldn't happen. No. So it's, it's totally different. Oh, we should so try that though, shouldn't we? <laughs> but also I think that's where we need to bring it back in a little bit. Actually, if you've got friends with young kids, allowing that to be normal again, because actually it's fine and it's great for them and it's great for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we do have, we're very lucky. We have, none of our parents are around or nearby, Not at least not near enough to sort of pop in. Mm. But we have one auntie um who's sort of a 10 minute drive and we do we just ask her I just I've got to the point where I have to stop worrying about asking people especially with three this is what I've really learned stop worrying what they'll think and just say do you know what is there any chance you could do the school run because I need to do xyz and actually most of the time they're happy to say yes so I think it's also that just asking for support when you need it even if it feels difficult because it then starts to become a bit easier the more you do it I think yeah, and actually when you're on the other end of that, when someone asks you to 
look after their child or help out actually there's nothing more of a privilege is there than someone exactly. entrusting you with their child like when someone says oh can you look after my little one for a little bit I'm like yes like yeah. thank you it's that's such a privilege for you to exactly. you to trust me with them and uh, I think that's important with regards to the fourth trimester because I know we wanted to talk about like some tips and stuff but actually asking for help if you need it whether that's if you're lucky enough to have family or even like a really good friend if you're struggling I'm sure we'll come on to the emotional side of it but it's just that sort of just ask can you come but can you also bring dinner because my baby keeps you know vomiting everywhere we're we're trying to sort the reflux I'm exhausted and I just want to eat and I need some food so I'd love to see you but can you bring dinner with you that sort of thing definitely and actually if you can't practically find someone to help and you're financially able can you do things like we filled our freezer with cooked meals so that there was just stuff we could chuck in the oven so what can you do otherwise that perhaps doesn't involve a physical person but still actually takes that pressure off and allows you to look after yourself and yeah definitely always leave the cleaning (laughs) always (laughs) and even even if you're you know someone's pregnant listening like batch cooking in advance so I'm sure you've done all of these tips before but it's just so important to make your life easier because really when baby arrives your priority is your recovery from birth and your baby and obviously your relationship if you've got a partner at home but otherwise it's just kind of getting into that bubble isn't it and nothing else really matters too much as long as you're feeding yourself <laughs> yeah like literally eat when you can sleep when you can then you're done aren't you Simple. do your pelvic floors as well they kind of help yeah. uh, so, so for those listening that actually you've never heard of the fourth trimester before I think we've just probably summarized it quite nicely the first four months after having a baby where really the focus is on you, your recovery, getting to know your baby and navigating this new, beautiful, but slightly crazy time um, in your life. Heidi, talk to me about your fourth trimester. You've done it three times. What are some of the realities for you? Because I know this is your work, right? You are so well adversed in the evidence, you know, what what we should do and what's helpful. But I found during my own pregnancy and birth, it's really different when you're in it yourself mm-hmm. than when you've got your kind of professional hat on. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what? I, it's sort of, it's very different for me now to what it was. So my eldest is five and a half. So five and a half years ago, I had my first baby. The birth was literally not ideal in terms of sort of what I'd planned and things like that. You know, I had induction, ended up in theatre with a placenta removal, et cetera. So I was, I would say I was in shock. Um, for quite a long time but because I'd always done babies so my background is nannying night nannying maternity nursing like I just know babies I actually kind of found it pretty okay and I sort of felt almost a bit guilty because I was like oh this is fine had number two similar sort of thing but then had number three and she had all sorts of sort of stuff going on we've got tongue tie we've got reflux we've got something called a disorganized swallow she couldn't even breastfeed properly And honestly, like mentally, it knocked me for six because I thought, you know, I will know what I'm doing. I have done it twice already before, like you say. And it actually just opened up to me that real vulnerability that parents feel in that time. Because if I'm super honest, the first two times around, I was actually okay. I was cool with it. I was, you know, just did what I had practiced and what I knew and what my profession had taught me. So I actually didn't find it difficult. Whereas third time, I think I probably identify most with what the sort of your average parent goes through, Mm -hmm. which is that overwhelm of like, why won't they feed? Why won't they sleep? You know, why won't they take a bottle? All of those questions that go through your mind when you're, you know, six weeks in and trying to rock your baby to sleep and wondering what on earth you did yesterday that's different to today because yesterday they went down fine and today they're not going down at all. And it's that sort of 
up and down roller coaster, isn't it, that makes it so challenging? Yeah, it is. And also, I think the lack of support available to parents, and that's definitely something that shocked us when we were brand new parents, was you kind of felt like you always had a port of call in pregnancy. And then you're like, oh, two weeks, two two months postnatal, you're like, uh, what? What do we do? <laughs> what are we meant to be doing? I remember being like, how do I play with a baby? Yeah. Like, that's way out of my scope as a midwife where babies come into the world and then two weeks later we've you know discharged you so yeah. I have no idea about this whole baby and child thing I remember like, how do I play and I felt really guilty that as a mum I was like I don't know what I meant to do yeah. and I think that's a real challenge for mums and it and it leads to a lot of guilt mm-hmm. um, and probably a lot of mental health concerns as well because you feel like that should just be a natural thing and you should just know because you're now a mum, but there's there's no pre-qualification, is there? <laughs> no, no, exactly. And I'm so lucky that I have had all of that knowledge to go into them becoming a parent. So I sort of, exactly as you say, like knew what to do because it's been what I'd practised. But I think if you don't have any of that experience and you haven't held a baby five years since, you know, your, your friend last had one or whatever else, that is so overwhelming. And it's, you know, where do you look for for advice? Because it's really hard isn't it right now you've got so many different opinions on social media it's you know there's black and white to everything there's cancel culture and it's sort of like ah as a new parent what what's true what do I believe and I think one of the things that we look at in our works we deal a lot with um sleep primarily a lot of baby sleep stuff we actually try and tap into a parent's instinct like what does your gut say is right for you right now rather than what the textbook says or what that Instagram post says or what that blog reads what do you actually want to do with your baby so when it comes to sleep you know is that co-sleeping or is that setting up a routine so that they'll go down nicely on their own in their basket like it's entirely up to you but really trying to tap into that yeah that intuition because I think it's been lost slightly actually um yeah. because of the bombardment of you know I'm one of those people who puts out information on social media so are you so I'm not going to sort of say oh it's all bad it's not at all there's loads of great information but it's trying to pick apart which bits sit right for you as a parent and when you're exhausted slightly irrational and lack of sleep and trying to recover from birth that's really really hard <laughs> this week's episode is sponsored by a brand I love eye candy From its roots in London's fashion design and manufacturing scene, iCandy has uniquely been owned and directed in the UK by the same family for almost 90 years. Now proudly in its fourth generation, the Appels and their extended iCandy family remain completely focused on the best of British craftsmanship, designing and engineering innovative quality products. iCandy's talented British-based in-house team consistently push the boundaries of both product design and sustainability, creating a wide range of stylish, functional and quality pushchairs, highchairs and accessories. Everything has been thoughtfully crafted to fit seamlessly into every parent's lifestyle. From the iconic eye candy peach, which offers double functionality on a single footprint, to the eye candy my chair, an innovative multifunctional high chair that transforms into a beautifully crafted piece of furniture for your child. Eye candy future proofs the life cycle of every product so that it grows with each family. 
So no matter where your family is at right now, iCandy has got you covered. Check out their website, iCandyWorld.com or head to iCandyWorld UK on Instagram to find out more. And I think the thing that's different about our generation, Heidi, is that prior we didn't have social media and other influences whereas now we've got parents and grandparents giving us this advice and then we're seeing this new advice on on social media or on the internet and then you know you might have your healthcare practitioner giving you another bit of advice and you're like I've just been told six different conflicting Mm -hmm. things Um, and often by really well-meaning people and I remember day three so for you and I we know what day three when you're breastfeeding looks and feels like with a new baby um and my little boy fed constantly I don't think he stopped we like you know we saw every hour day and night and I remember my mum saying to me you're just not feeding him enough he must be hungry you're gonna have to give him formula and I was like thankfully with a midwife hat you know this is claustrophobic and this is normal blah 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 but I was I remember saying to my husband if I wasn't a midwife this would be the moment that I stopped breastfeeding because that would have been my only bit of advice. I come from a bottle feeding family and that would be the only thing that would have been my support. Mm-hmm. And I think actually how powerful it is to therefore have that realistic expectation of some of the challenges of the fourth trimester, which just makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really hard though, isn't it? Because when you're pregnant, all you want to do really is prep for the birth. You want to make sure you get the birth you want and what do I need to do? And what's that going to look like? And you know, what date it's going to be? And when am I, when am I going to meet my baby? You don't really look much past that point. So with our newborn sleep stuff, so we have a newborn sleep course and, and everyone sort of like raves about it, but when they've got a six, seven or eight week old or a 10 week old, not in advance because it's really hard to convince people that they need to know about that stuff but once baby arrives they're like why didn't I know this sooner you know why do they not teach this in antenatal so it's very very difficult because I think your head when you're pregnant is is in one place and then baby arrives and as you say quite rightly you just don't have a clue what to do and then whilst you're tired you've got to pick apart all of this information so yeah it's, it's a challenge it's really it's tough it's really tough yeah and definitely and totally in ideal world right we'd have it all beforehand but then I think is that information overload? It's almost like we need to do it beforehand, but not have the pressure of taking it in, I suppose. Yeah. And then afterwards it feels like, oh, okay, I can recap on this now. Yeah. Like, let's really delve into it a little bit more. But I had a bit of a vague idea, a little bit of a guideline, or at least knowing where to go. So when yeah. it feels tough, you're not like, what do I go to? You're like, ah, I know I've got, you know, I've got the likes of you with Positively Parenthood, or I've got yeah. something that I can go to. So you know where that place is going to be. And I, I often say to mums that plan to breastfeed, Put on your fridge where your local lactation consultant is, the breastfeeding hotline number, your local breastfeeding support group, so that when it is tough, because there's always tough moments, isn't there, in the postnatal period, you already know where, you, where you're going. You haven't yeah. got to figure that out. It's really important. And I think you're right. I think especially when it comes to breastfeeding, if you choose to breastfeed, then obviously getting as much support with that as possible. You know, I am have been doing this job for over I mean 15 plus years I was a maternity nurse I used to sit in mum's bedrooms at night and hold breast pumps onto their boobs whilst they cried and bring the baby into their bedroom whilst they breastfed um I'm a trained breastfeeding counsellor like I have done it but I was crying whilst I was breastfeeding because it wasn't quite right I needed help I needed to speak to in the end I think three or four professionals like it's just is hard sometimes and knowing where to go I think is really important so that's a really good tip like know in advance have that information so all you then need to do is pick up the phone rather than 
trawl through pages of Google or Instagram to try and find out, you know, who there is locally to help you. And actually, I wonder, just linking back to what you said previously, Heidi, about gut instinct in motherhood, was the was you knowing you needed help with breastfeeding? Was that a bit of a gut instinct thing? Because I yeah. know often we hear women say, oh, but they said it looked fine, but I just knew it wasn't quite right. Yeah, 100%, 100%. We use it so much in the work that we do. And I, I, I mean, I knew straight away, she, she did one great feed. I had a beautiful birth in the kitchen, like home oh. birth. She was amazing. It was fab. She fed and it didn't hurt till the first feed. And I was like, oh, because the boys would not latch for like three days each because they both had significant tongue tie. Um, so I had a sort of a bit of a false start. I was like, here we go. Um, but then as soon as, yeah, like sort of day one kicked in, I was like, this is not right. And you just, A, I had the experience of two others, but I do think you just know. So I remember with my first being in hospital, and he wouldn't latch at all. And I kept asking the staff on the postnatal ward, like, is it normal in an induction for a baby sort of not to latch? And they were like, no, it's fine. Like, just keep trying, whatever, whatever. Any, I, mean, I did not get any decent information at all at the time. And then as soon as I spoke to her, actually, it was our osteopath. And I said, is it really normal for babies not to latch if they've been induced? And she was like, yeah, we see it all the time. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, it's not just me imagining that he won't latch. That's actually a thing. So... I do think your gut instinct is so important. And I think whether it's feeding, whether it's their comfort, whether it's, you know, you being told actually babies just cry, that's just what they do. Whether it's their broken sleep, significantly broken sleep being normalized. If your gut instinct is telling you that there's something else going on, even if you've had one opinion that says, no, they're fine or no, that's normal. Get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Sometimes get a third opinion or just go elsewhere. Because I think it's, I just think it's really powerful. I think you should follow it if you believe that there's something else that could be affecting your baby, like, for example, um, a sensitivity to a certain food protein that's passing through your milk or like silent reflux or something like that. Oh, 100%. It's it's so powerful, that gut instinct. I remember our little boy, he stopped breastfeeding just before he was 17 months um, and within 10 days was covered head to toe in eczema, like from nothing to everything. And we did that, you know, back and forth, back and forth, try this cream, try that cream. And in the end I was like, this isn't, this isn't working. We need some, something a bit more. And we finally got referred to the right person who within a week, it was, his skin was beautiful again. And it's just sometimes, and, and you shouldn't have to fight that corner, but, but sometimes you do and, and not giving up, I think is really important. Yeah, unfortunately you do. I mean, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Like we live, in a society with an amazing healthcare system, but also in its own way has quite a few flaws in terms of reaching the right person or getting the right support. So it's really, really tough. And I think you just have to, you have to advocate for yourself, much like you do in birth, right? You just have to advocate for yourself and your baby. Yeah, 100%. So what can parents do, Heidi, in your professional and personal experience times three um, to make the fourth trimester a little bit easier or just feel that preparation even if it's not you know meticulous knowing exactly what's happened but having a bit of an idea so it's not quite such a shocker yeah so we've covered off already like two of the main things that I think which is prep like preparation is key even if you just read a little bit I think some level level of preparation around what to expect once baby's here not about the birth obviously that's all great and you've got several separate podcasts I'm sure all about that but preparation around sort of you know what normal sleep looks like what you might expect in terms of how often you might be up in the nighttime all of those lovely sort of newborn sleep facts that actually 
like I said, pre-birth might seem insignificant when baby arrives. You'll be like, oh, I'm so glad I read that because actually this is making me feel more comfortable that I, this is something I could expect or whatever else. So, you know, baby being really close to you, um, that sort of classic kind of up every couple of hours during the night time in the first couple of weeks whilst feeding kind of gets itself established, that sort of thing. So knowledge is power, I think is really, really important. I always say that to my clients, knowledge is power, a little bit of reading, get preps, get um, your food in, that sort of thing. We've talked about all of that. Um, Use your instinct, as I said, is really, really important. So if you think something isn't quite right, like my baby won't latch, as I said, get an opinion, get a second opinion and keep pushing on that. Um, And then for me, I think it's about finding your own style and not taking too much sort of notice if you like of what others around you are doing mm. I think that's key because I don't know if you were part of like an, uh, an antenatal group but you'll always have people who are doing things differently to you in parenting and I think that's sometimes really difficult if they're doing it you know if someone's co-sleeping and you're not or someone's baby is I don't know sleeping through the night at 10 weeks and yours isn't it's that constant comparison And we live in a society where we constantly compare ourselves to whether it's our friends, we've got WhatsApp to compare to, we've got social media, Instagram. And again, it comes back to that, like, do what is right for you. You do you. Don't worry if that's not the same as your best friend or whoever else in your WhatsApp group. So I think it's just this kind of power of leaning into what feels right. And that applies to feeding, you know, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, whatever you want to do is all good combination feeding whatever um sleeping co-sleeping like we said earlier getting into a routine whatever works for you so I think I think that takes time though you're not going to know that on day two or probably even week two either Mm. you need to take time to understand what kind of parent you want to be and feel like you're going to be and also time to learn your baby too because what works for one baby doesn't necessarily always work for another baby so I just think this fourth trimester is as much about kind of being looked after as it is about like learning the new way of doing things for yourself and learning more about what you are like as a mother so it's that lovely phrase of like the birth of a mother isn't it and it's learning what does that mean to me you know am I really practical I want to crack on with work and I don't know what you had to do in terms of your work but I've had to work all the way through all three of mine I had no maternity leave so I've had to make decisions that have aligned with that such as babies who have naps because if they didn't nap there's no way I could run a a company you know if they were like glued to me 24 7 um that might not be someone else's reality so for someone else that might look like six months of co-sleeping and contact naps and that is also brilliant do you know what I mean so it's just finding I think it's finding your own way Oh, definitely. One of the things you said that really resonated with me, Heidi, because when I I always think once you kind of settled into it, so once I got sort of, I don't know, 10, 11 months down the line, and I really started to reflect on that early, kind of early stage and the first few months, really, I suppose, kind of continuing on from the fourth trimester. The thing that I remember saying to myself that if I'm blessed enough to go on this journey again, the one thing I want to change is less comparison around that newborn period. Because I think especially as a new mum, and there isn't, you know, if, if there isn't much else to to go against, it's quite a natural thing to see the other children at 
baby groups or you know mums you're whatsapping and, and have that comparison and really that was a thief of so much joy for us in that early period you know why is he not doing that yet or why is he doing this yet and why are they sleeping through the night and he's not and it's really really hard and that's one of the things that I'll definitely take away for you know mm. any future children we might have is that actually we are on our own path and we're going to do it at our own time our own pace and it's going to look really different to everybody else's and that is absolutely fine yeah exactly I had the same even with my third so had a really quite massive work project that kind of kicked off when she was two months old and with her reflux she would only nap for 30 minutes so I'd do the classic you know like rock 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 to sleep put her down creep to the chair in the bedroom sit there with my laptop blah 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 and when she woke up after 30 minutes I felt really I was I was never like cross at her but I just felt really like it was really unfair and I was thinking well my others did this why is she not doing it and a lot of the time I spent stressing about it would would have been better off just put into like being a little bit more present with the situation potentially I got there in the end don't get me wrong in the end I had to just go this is what it is like if anyone's listening who's had a baby with reflux quite significantly it is very different to your kind of average baby journey and it can be really quite hard, quite lonely. And they do different things to what other babies do too, including really short naps. So it can be really, really difficult to even compare with like, you know, two children that you've had yourself or your best friend's child or whatever else. And I just think be okay with your situation, but also really important to take away is if you're not okay, you can change it. So I think one of the things that I wanted to kind of just touch on is that if you have a newborn who's not able to be put down and he won't sleep at all, it's really difficult because we've we've kind of ended up normalising loads of stuff with babies that actually doesn't have to be normal. And it's that whole like, it's common for sure. Don't get me wrong. They love a cuddle. But to the point where you can't put them down, that's not normal. So that's when you can reach out, whether it's to you know me or people like me, because what we can look at, okay, is, well, if baby doesn't want to go down ever and you're struggling because this starts to have a knock-on impact on your mental health, then what's going on? You know, are they taking in too much air? They've got a hidden tongue tie. You're not to know because you're not a tongue tie practitioner. But actually, if you took them to an osteo or tongue tie practitioner, would that come up? Are they happy with their tummies? Like happy tummies pretty much means happy babies and happy sleep, if I'm honest. Like it's it's massive. So if your newborn seems to be crying a lot or just generally unsettled and just will never sleep, is something going on with their tummy that, again, isn't that obvious to like a new parent. But if you came to me, I'd be like, right, OK, here are the things we can do. So definitely the comparison, sorry, comparison thing, but also definitely thinking, well, if I want to change things, even in that, you know, fourth trimester, you absolutely can because there is help out there. You don't just have to. It's really cliche. You don't just have to survive it. Like you can actually thrive with a newborn if you're finding things difficult. Some people won't. Some people will fly by and others will just be like, what is this? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> um, we're all different, aren't we? Like we all have different needs. So I always found, you know, my little boy was always quite an early waker. So he's, he's got better. It's like half six now, which is very acceptable. But it was always like a 5 a.m. But actually for me, that was great because I'm an early riser. So as long as we got a good night's sleep prior, I was like, I can function fine like this. Whereas some of my friends are like, oh my goodness, if they don't sleep until seven, I am done for the day. And that's where it's, it's okay to have different routines isn't it and different schedules exactly yeah and I think it's really important when it comes to sleep to know that you know I'm not saying sort of sleep through the night in the first few months because that's not what's going to happen but they are capable actually of sleeping like babies are born knowing how to sleep there's totally that capability there it normally comes down to in the fourth trimester 
it's not really even to do with things like self-settling and stuff it's more to do with comfort levels and air intake and making sure that they're winded properly and not like overtired so it's really basic stuff which going back to what we spoke about at the beginning I feel like parents should be told from the beginning but they're just not unless you happen to stumble across you know this podcast or my Instagram whatever else Mm -hmm. and therefore we go through that whole entire first few months thinking this is just what babies do um but actually they can be a lot you know they can cry less and they can sleep more if you have those few facts of information like knowledge is power basically oh I love that yeah knowledge is power especially when you are navigating lots of new stuff and different times when you've got a newborn baby having as much prepared as you can is super super helpful Mm -hmm. I feel like you've given us so many top tips Heidi so this is (laughs) going to be a challenge but whenever anyone comes on the podcast I always ask to finish with three of their top tips or highlights this could be your highlights because you have shared lots of tips already yeah okay um so first things first actually I'm I'm going to go with tips I'm going to try and sort of weave in some tips to what I've already done I think there are a few more that I can share with you the first one is busting a myth really and I would just say babies need to be winded wind your baby bottle fed baby breastfed baby wind 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 your baby wind is like the number one disruptor of newborn sleep and quite often is the cause of those like, you know, 10 minute, 20 minute naps that you're like, oh, I put them down, but then they just woke up after 15 minutes. So I think winding is so important. Um, and I've got tons of reels and stuff on my Instagram of like different positions to win babies in and things like that. So wind your baby. Um, secondly, I'm going to roll with actually probiotics, mm-hmm. if I'm allowed to. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of a lot of the work I do around is um sorry a lot of the work I do is around infant kind of gut health and how that impacts their temperament and also their sleep so you will be doing both yourself and baby a favor if you choose to give probiotics because that can really strengthen their tummies which in itself can then have a knock-on impact later on obviously with their sleep because if they're happy in their tummies they tend to sleep a bit better and a bit more easily um Gosh, and number three, I would just say, yeah, push, push for advocate for what you feel you need and your baby needs. So that might be a second opinion at the doctor. That might be talking to someone else who's, you know, in that in in the sort of baby field who might have a slightly different opinion. So kind of just don't give up. It can be better than it feels if you feel like you're struggling. I think that's really important because you don't just have you don't just have to sorry struggle on through. And actually, that's really reassuring for anyone listening that is currently finding the fourth trimester a little bit tough. So Heidi, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have three sleeping little people now. Um, (laughs) You're an absolute star. Thank you for sharing so much wisdom. Oh, absolute pleasure. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Pip. Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor if you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now? It makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, the bigger the guests and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing and I look forward to chatting again soon. Hi. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.